first sports edition of Rounds Rant, and today I'm joined by Jason Sobel, who is a senior golf writer for Action Network HQ. Jason also previously worked for ESPN along with the Golf Channel. So, Jason, thanks a million for taking time out and coming on the show. And how's things with you? Everything's great, Richie. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to uh, be on the pod with you. And uh, yeah, let's talk some golf. It's uh, it's a good time to year to start talking about it because we uh, it never ends. I mean, we're we're already into uh, the late season for the European Tour and the early season for the PGA Tour somehow converging at the same time. Exactly. So I want to cast back to last month and the big topic was obviously the Ryder Cup and we'll talk about the PGA or PGA Tour events that finished before that. But the biggest topic coming out of the Ryder Cup was, well, there was a few subplots, but one of the main ones that, especially over in my uh, neck of the woods in Ireland, there was a lot of debate as to why the USA aren't performing as of late. And I know I read a piece of you where you're saying that home advantage is absolutely huge, but you still look at the stats and I think it's eight out of the last 10 Ryder Cups have been won by Europe and some of them have been hammerings to put them lightly. Yeah, I don't know that I have a a specific answer as to why the Americans keep coming up short. I, I think there's a little something to do with the fact that it means more to the Europeans. And I, I think this sometimes gets misconstrued as the Americans don't care. And, and that's not the truth at all. In fact, they, they probably care a little too much and they start pressing a little bit and trying too hard uh, to be perfect out there instead of just going out and having fun. And I think that's probably a major key to it uh, for the Europeans is that they're they're having more fun. It's sort of a chicken or the egg type of conundrum. Uh, uh, do you have fun and go out and play well because you're having fun or do you play well and because you're playing well then you're having fun so i don't don't know that there's a specific answer to that but i do think it means more to the europeans having been around rider cups both in europe and the united states having been around fans both in europe and the united states having been around players uh in both regions i i think that in america we tend to say we really want to win the rider cup uh, the fans are all in. They really want to win. And as soon as it's over, it's either, oh, cool, we won, or, oh, that stinks, we lost. And then they flip the channel and see yeah. what's on uh, football that, that Sunday. I, I think that in Europe, it, it means more. I was in a, a local tavern um, after uh, after the Ryder Cup this year, Sunday night in, in Versailles, I believe, and, uh, and, and the fans are standing on tables and uh, they're waving their flags around and they're singing songs for Sergio and Molinari and Fleetwood. And I, I think that's just different. There's just a different mindset. It means a little bit more. But again, I, I don't know if that necessarily explains uh, why one team is one more than the other. Uh, you mentioned, as I wrote, uh, I think we're getting into an era where home course advantage is going to mean more than ever before. I thought that Thomas Bjorn and the Europeans set up Le Golf National brilliantly because it played to their strengths and they understood how to play that golf course a lot better than the Americans. And if I was uh, impending captain Steve Stricker, and we all assume that Steve Stricker is going to be the captain in his home state of Wisconsin two years from now, I would set up whistling straights 8,200 yards long with 80-yard wide fairways and uh, let my big bombers go out there and hit it and uh, tell guys like Francesco Molinari basically, hey, man, you can hit all the fairways you want. It's not going to matter here. We're going to have an advantage. So uh, I do think that we're in more of a home team dominant era than a European dominant era, but 
I, I don't know that we can sort of see the forest through the trees just yet uh, in regard to that. Mm. And that, that probably could potentially highlight the importance of a captain in this day and age, as in, obviously, if USA go on to win, Jim Furyk's hailed as a, an all-time great, one of the best captains of all time. But obviously, since it didn't go according to plan, a lot of people were criticizing the preparation of the team. And the biggest thing was essentially his picks. Why was he picking uh, Phil Mickelson, who was rash off the tee box, who didn't really show a lot of form, mm -hmm. as opposed to maybe someone like uh, Matt Kuchar or Zach Johnson, who probably would have suited the course, but then also the format a lot better. Like, What were your takes on his picks? Because I think Tiger Woods was obviously justified, but the other two, some people um, sometimes question. Yeah, I'm, I've become a little bit of a Furyk apologist, I feel, in the past month or so, uh, just because I think he's being criticized and overly criticized uh, for every single decision that he made. Uh, I'll go back to the captain's picks. At least here in America, I mean, uh, Thomas Bjorn's captain's picks were much more controversial, much more polarizing than those uh, of Jim Furyk. Really, uh, I heard some critical comments about Phil Mickelson being on the team, but uh, Tiger was certainly a lock, and, and I think it would have been silly if Tiger had been left off the team and then won the Tour Championship and were sitting there in Paris saying, boy, if only that guy who was a vice captain that won last week was playing this week, maybe the Americans would have more of a chance. So uh, I, th I think Tiger was justified. Bryson DeChambeau had won the first two playoff events, so uh, I think that's an easy call right there. And, uh, mm. and Tony Finau had played great up to that point, did the course necessarily fit Tony Finau? Not really, but he also didn't play that badly during the Ryder Cup either, so it's hard to criticize those yeah. picks. Yes, you could have looked at, uh, just in the team room itself, Jim Furyk and Steve Stricker and Matt Kuchar and Zach Johnson and said, you know what, this course is much better for these players uh, than some of the guys that we have on the team right now. I, I just... and. Jim Furyk would have had to go way out of the box. And I don't think he was going to do it. And I don't think the next captain's going to be the guy to do it. Maybe somewhere down the road, it could happen. But I just think that it's going to take a very strong-willed captain who says, look, I don't really care how the guys are playing coming into it. I don't care if one of the guys named Tiger Woods and another guy is named Phil Mickelson. I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm going to look at the course and I'm going to say, I'm taking four guys who are horses for that course and who, who suit that specific track. And I'm going to pick them to be on my team. And I'm telling you that in retrospect, the Monday morning quarterbacking, we can look back on Jim Furyk's captain's picks and say, hey, they really didn't work out. Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson were combined 0-6. Uh, obviously, there was no success there. But if during his picks, he, instead of announcing Tiger, Phil, and Bryson for those first three, said, Zach, Cooch and Steve Stricker, I'm telling you, there would have been an uproar here in America amongst uh, uh, the yeah. fans and the media. I, I just don't think that would have gone over well. So it's easy for us to sit here right now and say, hey, those picks didn't work. You should have done something different. But I didn't hear anyone calling for different picks when he made them. So it's really hard to sit here and say he should have done something differently. Mm. No, I, I actually agree with some of those points. And one thing I'd like to highlight is we were talking earlier about how the Europeans tend to celebrate and care a bit more, but that's obviously subjective. But one thing I tend to notice when the U.S. don't win 
there always seems to be post-tournament drama. There always seems to be quotes coming out of players' mm. mouths that probably shouldn't be. We had Phil Mickelson a few years ago, pretty much laid his captain three metres away from him. And this year you had, obviously, the Patrick Reed and Jordan Spieth kind of spat and drama after that. And then you also had talk of uh, Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka getting into a bit of an altercation. Like, is there certain things like this where there's kind of unrest in the squad or there's even Phil was saying how he didn't actually like the course from the get-go. Should Jim Furyk or whatever captain in the future is taking control of the team, should he really research not just the course, but also the individuals and how they feel about the course before he picks his team? Yeah, probably. But again, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Patrick Reed, it's not as if they were picks. These are guys who were on the team, qualified for the team. So it's not like Jim Furyk could have said, uh, I, I don't want you on the team or, or I'm not going to play you once you're there. So these guys were all locked in. Uh, from what I've heard, the DJ Kepka uh, scenario didn't quite happen the way it's been reported. I, I think that if anything, if there was some friction between them, it's more two buddies sharing a small space together for a week straight and just sort of uh, getting tired of each other at the end of it. But I don't think that's uh, anything that uh, maybe even was prompted by uh, what happened inside the ropes. Uh, during the three days of the Ryder Cup. So I, I don't think that's anything lingering. The Phil Mickelson comments, uh, I think yeah, it's just Phil speaking his mind. Uh, again, I don't know that he was necessarily critical. He, uh, Yes, he said the rough was uh, probably unplayable and too long and you know, obviously didn't like the course, but I don't know that Phil would have done anything differently. In fact, Phil's uh, maybe the best... Uh, sort of player uh, when it comes to gamesmanship in the game right now. And uh, if and when, yeah. and it's going to be when, Phil Mickelson is a Ryder Cup captain, I would expect to see plenty more gamesmanship from everything he's learned over the years. The one that really baffles me is Patrick Reed. I don't understand anything about his post-Ryder Cup comments. I, I just don't get why he would come out and say, first of all, I don't know why I didn't play with Spieth because – Frankly, they had talked about that ahead of time and they all knew what the plan was. And I'm a big fan of a captain sticking with a plan as opposed to uh, scrapping it during the Ryder Cup and trying something else. Secondly, let's look at it, Richie, from this perspective. If you're Tiger Woods and Monday afternoon you get back to Florida and you open the paper, or go online and you see that Patrick Reed is basically complaining about having to play with you instead of getting to play with Jordan Spieth. What do you think Tiger Woods is thinking right now? I mean, this is a guy who Patrick Reed has grown up idolizing. Everybody idolizes Tiger Woods. Patrick Reed more so than maybe anybody else. He wears red on Sundays to honor Tiger Woods. He's uh, he's talked about Tiger in, in sort of glowing terms, uh, the fact that he respects him so much. He, he does everything he can to try to be like Tiger, and all of a sudden he gets paired with Tiger in a Ryder Cup. You would think he'd be ecstatic about that, and instead comes out afterwards and says, well, I should have been playing with Jordan Spieth instead. If I'm Tiger and I hear that, I feel like Patrick Reed has completely thrown me under the bus and I, I don't think I reach out with an olive branch to him at all. If I'm Tiger, I might send him a, a text message the next day that just says WTF and, and ask him what he's doing and what he's thinking because, uh, quite frankly, and I'm not sure too many people have looked at it from this perspective, Richie, but he threw Tiger under the bus. He basically said, I didn't want to play with this guy, the best player of all time, the guy who I've grown up idolizing. I would have preferred to stay with the guy that I've been playing with for a while. Uh, again, if I'm Tiger... 
that throws me for a loop, and that doesn't make me very happy with Patrick Reed. I don't understand anything about that. Yeah, no, that was most definitely strange, and especially with the hype surrounding Tiger. He's never really going to win that battle from a media PR perspective. But no, I do agree with you. Like that is, it's cheap and it's it's it is thrown. It is essentially thrown Tiger under the bus. And without dwelling too long on the Ryder Cup, I I want to move on to the man we're speaking about now, and that's Tiger mm-hmm. Woods. And obviously, he's had a a roller coaster few years or several years if you want to call it that but ultimately in the last six to ten months he's he's kind of re re-established himself he is you know boost ratings he is brought off back into the forefront again and like did you predict this comeback happening so soon down the line after his injuries and obviously his personal issues or did you feel he had too much talent and too much dominance beforehand that he was always going to come back and as we saw with the Tour Championship, get back and win big tournaments. No, Richie, I never saw this coming whatsoever. And uh, that's not because I'm a Tiger hater. It's not because I doubted his abilities. It's because I listened to him. And over the last two, three, four years, before we got to 2018, Tiger Woods would every once in a while sit in a press conference or be on TV and he'd be asked about his health. He'd say, look, I, I just don't know. I just don't know what I can do. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what the doctors will let me do. I have no idea. And so, I mean, and we're not talking years ago. We're talking about at the President's Cup, which was last October, Tiger sat in front of the media uh, during a pre-tournament press conference and was asked about his health. And he said, look, I just started hitting 60-degree wedges. Uh, they're not going very far, but they're going straight. He joked around and said, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever going to play again. Uh, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm going to listen to my doctors. Uh, the main thing for me is to be healthy, to be able to uh, walk around with my kids and go watch their soccer games. And uh, as far as golf, we'll, we'll see what happens. So there was no reason for me or you or anybody else to take what Tiger said there, and I, and trust me, I, I think he was p- completely honest when he said he didn't know what the future was going to hold and he didn't know when he'd be able to swing a club uh, fully at that point. So to take that and extrapolate that to, yeah, I, I think he'll win the Tour Championship and I think he'll uh, be one of the best players on the PGA Tour this coming season. No, I, I never saw that coming. Uh, I thought that was remarkable, not just that it happened, but that it happened so quickly and to the extent where – uh, I am not overstating the fact that I thought he was one of the better players on the PGA Tour this past season. Yes, he only won once, and that was against a uh, 30-man field of the Tour Championship, but uh, in contention at the final two majors of the year, a handful of other top five finishes, I thought it was a very consistent year for Tiger Woods. No, he didn't sort of have that closing mentality that we'd seen from Tiger in his prime, but remember, it had been a long time since – Uh, Tiger had won. He went more than five years in between victories. So I I expect more of it coming uh, this this coming year. Uh, I think in 2019, it's going to be a big year for him. I don't know how much time he has left. I don't know if it's two years or eight years. I I have no idea. I don't know if he's going to win a 15th major championship. I don't know if he's going to win a 19th major championship. Uh, I really don't. I've sort of towed the line on that uh, for a long time now. But I do think that uh, we have to look at a world right now where Tiger is one of the better players on the PGA Tour. And 
world ranking wise, I, I think that, you know, without losing really any points from 2017 because he barely played it all, uh, I think that he's only going to be accumulating more points. I, I would be surprised if he's not a top five player in the world when we uh, look back exactly a year from now at what he's done in 2019. No, he was definitely one of the more consistent. Once he got going, he. He seemed to feature more or less every, yes, there's one or two hiccups along the way. And as you mentioned, especially in the British Open, he was right there on uh, on the Sunday. And was there a part of that, like when it was, since it's closer to home here, when he took the lead in the British Open, the journalists and social media went absolutely mental, as I'm sure it did in the US. But was there an element of surprise? As you said, he hadn't been in that position for a very long time, leading um leading a major on a Sunday. But do you think it was nerves got to him then, or do you think his game just wasn't in the place it needed to be to close out those last, what, 10 or 12 holes? Tiger talks so much about the process, and I think this process has always been sort of a uh, linear uh, dot to dot to dot. So, you know, the first part of the process was he needed to get healthy. Okay, we all understand that. Once he got healthy, he needed to go, figure out his swing and okay, figured out his swing. Once he figured out his swing, all right, he needed to find a short game. And then he needed to be able to go out there and make a few birdies. They need to go string together uh, an entire strong, consistent round with a good score. They need to put together multiple rounds. They need to put together a whole tournament where, okay, he played pretty well for four straight days and then he had to get into contention and then he had to go win. I always thought it was, skipping a step in the process if he had won a major championship before he won a regular PGA Tour event. And so uh, obviously he could have won either of the last two majors. He played very well, and I would have been proven wrong. But I think now that he's got one under his belt, I think he really needs to get that uh, that regular season win first, um, even though it's not really regular season, the, the Tour Championship being the finale of the the FedEx Cup playoffs, but a a non-major victory, uh, I think that's kind of what he needed to get jump-started, at least mentally for him to say, okay, I can do this. I can beat the world's best players. I can do it on a big stage. Now let me take it and go do it on a bigger stage. And I think he will. Uh, I think he will take this and uh, gain some more confidence going into major championships. Again, uh, does that mean a victory? I don't know. Uh, you never know if uh, Tiger can go out and play tremendous golf for 72 holes and Brooks Kepka or Justin Thomas or Dustin Johnson or anybody else plays just a little bit better and he comes up short. It doesn't mean that he can't win a major championship. It just means that he didn't. And I think that Richie is still a sort of common misconception about Tiger. There are people out there who still say, I don't think he's going to win another major championship. And to that, I say, okay, you're welcome to your opinion and you're allowed to say that. I I have no problem with that. The problem I have is when people say he can't win another major championship. Uh, And to that, I I just say that's wrong. That's not an opinion. Uh, That's just a wrong fact. He has proven that he's at least capable. He's at least talented enough and healthy enough and, and ready to go out and win a major championship, whether he does it or not. I don't know, but uh, there are probably 30, 40 players in the world you could point to right now and say that guy is capable of someday winning a major championship, and he is easily in the top half of those. So uh, I don't know whether it's going to happen, but I certainly know that he's uh, a guy who 
when we look at the short list of players who are candidates to win major championships at four fantastic venues in 2019, uh, I look at him as one of those top names that uh, should and could be able to do it. And while we're on the topic of Tiger and his his great return to form, that coincided well from a unbiased and probably a, an ignorant point of view. It seemed to kind of temporarily save golf from its decline. And it was well reported by newspapers and journalists all over the world that ratings were dropping. There was golf, golf people playing golf. The numbers were dropping. They were even dropping here in Ireland. And do you think that is only a temporary fix with Tiger kind of getting it back into the mainstream or I suppose in, in your opinion, you, you've, you've obviously worked tournaments, you've seen the ins and outs of American golf. Like, do you feel like there's anything that can be done to sustain this kind of rise back into um, mainstream and kind of keep the ratings as high as they should be? No, probably not. But I think people need to understand that golf is at, at its heart a, a niche sport. Before 1997, when Tiger Woods won the Masters as a 21-year-old, multicultural, uh, intriguing, polarizing player, uh, it, it was a niche sport. And so if and when the time comes, I guess when the time comes that Tiger Woods is no longer relevant, yes, it's going to drop off. It, I basically look at it like a... Uh, a bubble in the stock market and we're still riding that wave. We thought, we thought the wave was over a couple of years ago and now uh, we're back to riding that, uh, that wave where um, everyone's in good spirits and everyone's, you know, to use the analogy uh, making money and their stocks are going up at some point, there's going to be some regression and that's only natural. Mm. Um, I, I don't think you can go out and replace a tiger woods. Uh, I think it's fairly obvious right now that, Rory McIlroy isn't going to be Tiger Woods for as great as he is. Uh, it's not going to happen. Dustin Johnson certainly yeah. is not. Uh, Jordan Spieth looked for a little bit like he might be at least a little part of Tiger Woods. I don't know that that's going to happen. I think the way you replace Tiger, if you're trying to, if you're looking at it from that perspective, is the fact that if you put all of these players together, they can equal Tiger. Uh, you put together these uh, top seven, eight, nine, ten players in the world who are all 32 years of age and younger and are all going to be around for a long time. I, I think that all of them together can sort of equal a Tiger Woods, but it doesn't work that way. I think that uh, individual sports and, and golf specifically um, are, are games where uh, dominance reigns. And uh, for whatever reason, the masses uh, – as much as people say they want parity, they want to see different players winning. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, Richie, during Tiger Woods dominance, I would do radio interviews and podcasts and just talk to people, uh, golf courses, who say, man, why can't anyone step up and ever beat Tiger? And then as yeah. soon as people start stepping up and beating Tiger, everyone says, why can't Tiger go out there and dominate again? <laughs> you, you can't have it both ways. And, uh, and at some point, uh, and we're probably there now where Tiger is not dominant and it's going to be uh, parody. And you're going to see guys uh, leading the PGA Tour and the European Tour with four wins, maybe only three wins uh, at the end of the year. It's not such a bad thing, but that doesn't bring out the masses. That doesn't get people uh, flocking to driving ranges on a Monday morning because of what they saw 12 hours earlier. It just doesn't happen that way. So, uh, yes, there is going to be some regression uh, once Tiger Woods is no longer relevant, but 
that's just part of it. I, I mean, that's going to come with the territory. Anyone who didn't see that uh, just basically wants to put on their blinders and doesn't understand what golf was like pre-1997 because this is what it's always been. And we should thank Tiger, anyone who's uh, gotten a, a job or uh, sort of profited or at least enjoyed themselves during the Tiger Woods era. Uh, everyone should be thanking Tiger for what he did for the game. But once he's done, once he's gone, once he's no longer competitive, we can't sit around and say, what can we do to sustain this for the next 20 years? I, I just don't think it's sustainable um, until some other polarizing young player who can dominate comes along. But I, I don't see it happening anytime soon. Yeah, there is. There was that hope, especially when Tiger wasn't wasn't winning tournaments. There was that hope of Jordan Spieth. He might step up to be dominant and this personality might come out. And Rory McIlroy was the exact same. And obviously it hasn't materialized like that. And I do, I do get you. It's, it's unfair to expect a single individual to carry a sport from a ratings perspective and even an interest perspective. But what, what interested me in the last few months was the stepping away from the whole rating and popularity thing was they've changed a good few of the rules in golf across the board. And I know in the last few years, the biggest critics where the critics were all saying that the belly putters had to go and they eventually got rid of them. And now they're saying the stuff I was reading about the green readings, they're going to give them mm -hmm. less information on them. Mm -hmm. And then I'm just with the other rule changes like double hitting the ball or even having the caddy to attend the flag, you don't need to do that anymore. Do you think any of them will have a big effect on the game or will it more or less be the exact same thing? I think more or less it's the same thing. I think that there will be specific instances over the course of the next year. Let's say a guy's in contention and he double hits one out of a bunker and all of a sudden it's just one shot. There is no two-chip TC Chen anymore. It's just, hey, that's just one. And it's going to look really weird when uh, Tiger Woods or Jordan Spieth or Rory McIlroy is at a major championship and hits one into a hazard and takes a drop where he's holding the ball by his knee instead of by his shoulder. And uh, it's going to look really strange. A colleague of mine uh, interviewed Bryson DeChambeau the other day who said, I'm going to put with the flag stick in sometimes because I think it'll help me. Uh, it's going to look really, really weird. I, I don't necessarily like any of those changes. I don't think they were necessary for the game. I think that maybe it helps speed along your usual Sunday morning foursome a little bit. If you say, hey, uh, instead of going over there and tending the flag stick for me and then taking it out and putting it back in for the next guy who's 40 feet away, just leave the stick in and just putt at it. That's fine. But professional golf as a TV product, boy, I, I'd love to see the professional tours around the world sort of impart local rules at each tournament and say, no, you can't leave the flag stick in when you're putting. And no, you can't drop the ball from your knee. You have to drop it shoulder height like we always have. And no, if you double hit the ball, that's two strokes. That's not one stroke. I, I would love to see the professional tours sort of take ownership of this. Uh, the fact that the USGA and RNA have jointly announced these and said, this is, you know, sort of climbed up on top of their mountaintop and decreed to the world. Uh, this is how it is. And this is forever how it shall be until we change it and, uh, and make a new rule. I, I don't know that we necessarily all have to play along with it. And I would love to see, uh, whether it's, uh, uh, the PGA Tour, the European Tour, or any other tour around the world, at least take a stance and say, you know what? 
We don't really like a couple of these rules. We're going to uh, keep them the way they were because we think they're going to look a lot better to our players and to our fans. So whether that happens or not, I, I don't know. But uh, I, I think some of the, these changes are just sort of changing for change's sake. Um, I think the anchored putting rule that came into effect a few years ago is probably a good one. Um, I think they stopped it before it became – uh, the norm for most people out there. You don't want to see 12-year-old kids growing up doing nothing but uh, belly putting their way to AJGA and junior tournaments and, <laughs> and doing that through college. So I, I think that was good. I, I just don't see how any of these uh, new rules necessarily help out the game in general. I, I don't see how uh, you grow the game, you grow the popularity of things uh, because you can drop from your knee instead of your shoulder and because you can leave a flag stick in when you putt. I, I don't know what it does uh, to, to gain support from anybody. So, uh, again, I, I think most of them are kind of silly. Novelty rather than actually helping the game. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with you. Um, but it will, it will, especially for the non-pros, it will speed up golf rounds, not having to attend flags and abide to that stupid rule. But anyway, <laughs> that's for me, not, uh, not Tiger Woods to worry about. So the last topic I'd like to talk about, and a lot of people, I asked some of the listeners to get on to me and send in a few questions or mm. things that would like to be discussed. Um, and a lot of people in Ireland, we don't get to see big events week in, week out. We might get one or two. We might fly over to the British Open or something like that. And we very we rarely get to see those big events. And I'm wondering what are some of the insights you've gained by being able to watch these pros on and off the course? And is there a certain element of being a professional golfer that, say, people like myself would not get to see? Or is there elements that are particularly maybe not so good and are actually good as well, if that makes sense? I think the one notion that people have in their minds is, first of all, if you're a professional golfer, you're rich beyond all imagination and you fly private back to your mansion every night and it's the best life you could ever imagine. Maybe yeah. for the upper 0.1% of professional golfers at the elite level, that's sort of the case. But even for these guys, and especially this time of year, I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, a good example for you. My son is six years old. He had a soccer game the other day against Charles Howell's son, who was on the other team. And Charles and I had talked about it a few weeks ago. We were all excited to watch our kids play against each other and have a little maybe side action on the match. And, you know, it'd be, it'd be fun <laughs> just to kind of hang out with him a little bit. Well, Charles wasn't there because Charles went and played Malaysia and then went and played South Korea the week afterwards. And uh, I looked at the leaderboard before I went to the soccer game that morning. He was something like T68 out of a 72-man field. And I'm sitting there thinking, boy, wow. there are so many things that Charles Howell would rather be doing than sitting in a hotel room at 2 in the morning in South Korea getting updates on his son's soccer game back in Orlando. And I think that's a, a big part of what people don't understand. People would look at Charles Howell as the example last week saying, man, what a great life. The guy, you know, all he has to do is show up in South Korea and he made $45,000. That's so great. I, I would pretty much guarantee you that he would have given it all back to at least have some time at home. Now, I think what happens is these players sort of have to take a chance and say, hey, you know, Charles Owl, another the example. I, I've won two times in my entire career. 
I have a chance to go over there in a limited field and maybe win. That can be sort of a career changer for me. I get into some bigger events. I don't have to worry so much about setting my schedule. Uh, it's not just the money, but it's the other things that come with it. And yeah, that could be a big thing. But I think too often the fans uh, don't quite understand it from the player's perspective. You go away for a few weeks and you travel the world and you come back and it's not, hey, I'm going to sit on the couch and eat ice cream for the next week. It's wake up the next morning and go to the gym for two hours and then uh, eat a salad because you certainly can't be eating uh, uh, hot dogs and hamburgers when you're a a professional athlete. And then it's let's go to the range for four hours. Then let's putt for two hours And let's go home and eat another salad because, again, we're in training and we're a professional athlete. That's a uh, 24-7, 365-day-a-year job. It's not like you can take off just because you're not playing that week. And I think a lot of people don't understand uh, that side of of the life of the the professional golfer. So, yes, uh, 99.9% of them wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world. They love their jobs. They love being able to – play a game that they grew up playing for a living. But I don't know that the professionals out there necessarily love playing golf as much as I think the rest of us would think. I mean, you and I go out and play golf because, hey, I like playing golf. It's really fun. I have a good time doing it. I drink a couple of beers. I go shoot 82. Uh, you know, I give my buddy five bucks when I lose to him. And then we sit in the in the bar and have another drink. And, you know, it, it's a great time for these guys it's work and they have to work really, really hard. And the, the thin line between being really, 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 really good and being great is just so thin that these guys will spend 10, 20, 30 years of their career trying to cross over that line and sometimes never getting there. And uh, it, it is a tough thing to deal with. If you're a guy who's, you know, even, if you're 40th in the world, never breaking into the top 20, that's tough to deal with. If you're 80th and never breaking into the top 50, it's a tough thing. You're always searching for bigger and better success, and you're never quite satisfied. So even though, yes, they have great livings, yes, they can uh, buy a nice big house and provide for their families, there's always a sense that there's something they're lacking. And you know, I've even, Richie, said it about Tiger Woods uh, at, you know, at different times during his career if he winds up with something less than 18 major championships in the eyes of some people, he will be considered a failure because he was only the quote unquote second best major champion of, of golf's history. So I, I think that uh, there's an aspect to it that, that the fans don't quite understand and that these guys are always chasing something and they're never quite satisfied. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a, that's a proper heavy insight there. And it is, it's sometimes tough to think of the backstory and what they're actually playing for when you get the glitz and glamour of a Sky Sports coverage or an American TV kind of cable coverage. So that does put it into perspective with the Charles Howell example as well. And to finish off uh, the pod, I normally do a few quick fire questions okay. if you're up for that. Yeah, let's do it. And then uh, I'll send you on your way. So first thing you can think of, just say it. So to start it off, who is your favorite golfer of all time? Arnold Palmer. And I say that obviously never having lived through uh, his prime years, but uh, you just go back and look at the pictures. He was the essence of cool. I got to spend a pretty decent amount of time around uh, Mr. Palmer when he was still alive. And um, I I just enjoyed every second of it. He was, uh, 
he was always the coolest guy in the room, even when he was 85 years old. And uh, just to be oh. able to uh, spend some time around him um, made him my favorites. And, and I will say, Richie, and I know this is supposed to be a quick fire answer, but I will say having spent time yeah. around uh, Palmer, around Jack Nicholas, around Gary Player, um, they are all in their own way, just absolutely fantastic uh, gentlemen and uh, ambassadors for the game. So um, I, I know that's probably an easy answer. I know that's probably a uh, popular answer you'd get from most people, but it's it's probably the right answer also. What is your favorite movie of all time? <sighs> I haven't thought about that in a long time. Boy, I where am I going with this? I, I go funny. I could, uh, you know, I usually go with like a Caddyshack just because of the whole golf connection, um, and you know, and it's a funny movie. And well, I I honestly think I, you know, if I'm going just straight comedy, Animal House, if we're going from the same era, it was probably better than Caddyshack. So, uh, you know, that that's certainly up there for me. Um, Boy, uh, if we're still going sort of drama comedy, Swingers was always up there for me. Uh, Goodfellas was a is a big one for me. That I've seen a lot of times. So I'd say those are up there. Although as soon as I, as soon as we hang up, I'm going to think of like five more that I should have said that I, that I probably yeah. like better. Um, who was the biggest character on tour? <sighs> I'm not sure Boo Weekly is still considered on tour, but uh, man, I, when Boo would play well. And be coming into the interview room, you couldn't run fast enough um, to get in there and listen to Boo speak because uh, he wasn't just sort of country and down home and and say funny things. But if you thought about, they were they were actually insightful. He, he's he gets sort of stereotyped as a kind of dumb hick, and, and he's far from it. He's actually insightful, but. Uh, says things in very much his own way. And he was very, very quotable for a few years there. So uh, I don't know exactly what's going on with Boo right now. I know he'd always dreamed of an early retirement so he could go hunting and fishing uh, back home. But um, hopefully he's back out there and back playing well because I, I really uh, enjoyed kind of being around him every once in a while. Yeah, no, and I, I think we missed the old Boo yeah, yeah. Uh, crowd uh, screaming. But second last quick fire is what's the strangest thing you've ever seen while doing your job? Oh, man. Uh, again, this is this is going to be one where I hang up and go, oh, I can't believe I, I forgot uh, all these. Yeah. One that comes to mind just from this past year, and uh, it's strange in its own way, I guess. But, uh, you know, you see guys in pro-ams all the time and. Uh, you, you see CEOs who are acting like five-year-old little kids who want to get uh, pictures with the pro they're playing with and they want to hang out with them. A lot of them want to try to outdrive the pro and show them that they can, you know, every yeah. once in a while, you know, lean into one and hit it a long way. And especially when it's a big name pro, uh, you see these guys, you know, and, and even entertainers and athletes from other sports and, and, you know, like I said, CEOs and high-powered type people just uh, – you know, they gravitate toward the tiger and the fills. And so the strangest thing I can think of right now is watching the pro-am at Riviera earlier this year when Tiger Woods was playing with Mark Wahlberg, who had earbuds in his ears the entire time and basically didn't pay attention to Tiger at all. It was almost like he was trying to freeze out Tiger <laughs> and, and like work on his own game during the pro-am. I, that just, I, I'm sitting there thinking, 
dude, you don't have four hours to play golf with Tiger Woods. Like you've got so much stuff going on that, that you got to have the earbuds in and talk on the phone to somebody. I, you know, like save the call for later. Tell oh, somebody, I, sorry, I'm playing golf with Tiger right now. Let me give you a call back later. And the fact that he walked around with earbuds in, like talking on the phone, listening to music, whatever he's doing, really, really strange. Oh, he probably he did a tiger to tiger. Yeah, so say, yeah. Maybe. maybe Tiger was intimidated by uh, Marky Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one, I normally get guests to sum themselves up in three words, but I want to make a different spin on it today and sum your golf game up in three words. It's very inconsistent. Um, <laughs> how's that work for you? Uh, yeah, I. I'm a Very decent good. player. I think I'm I'm like a six trending to a twelve right now. Uh, it goes back and forth. There there are times when you know I go out there and everything feels really good and post a seventy four, and I'm like, well, that kind of felt pretty easy. And then days I go out and shoot eighty five, and I'm like, what was I doing? I didn't even you know, the club felt like I'd never held one in my hands before. So yeah, I I will say, Richie, I play a lot. So uh, moved to Orlando uh, seven years ago, and the weather's either really hot or only kind of hot, uh, depending on the time of year. But it's always golf weather. So I get to play uh, at least three or four days a week when I'm not on the road covering golf, which is a nice little perk of the job. Well, look at you. In Ireland, you pretty much have to pack it away in a shed and dust off the cobwebs after the winter. So all your good work over the summer tends to uh, fade away into the winter. But uh, no, that's, that's obviously the perks of uh, working and playing in America. But that, that wraps it up, Jason, and I just want to thank you for coming on the show and you gave some great comments and great insights into you know the last 12 months and even beyond that of golf. And I just would like, would like to wish you all the best. Have a good Christmas, and I'm sure it goes without saying we're looking forward to another season of golf. And, you know, fingers crossed, maybe uh, Tiger Woods can get to number 15 and keep those yeah, ratings I, I can't wait to see what happens in the coming year. I think it's going to be some... Uh, uh, really fun golf to watch. So uh, I appreciate you. Uh, first of all, having me on, I appreciate you supporting the game. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. Those were some great questions. So uh, I appreciate the uh, professionalism on your end. And uh, and let's talk again soon. Yeah, definitely, Jason. Anyway, take care. All right. Thanks, Richie. I appreciate it.